evening. Good to see everybody. How y'all doing tonight? Uh, good to see a few out anyway. I didn't know if anybody was actually going to show up tonight. But there's something else going on somewhere I heard, but I, I don't know where that is. But anyway, uh, I think I got everybody tonight's prayer, and we'll just get right into the lesson tonight. Uh, everybody have a handout? Everybody? I think I got everybody tonight. Give me one back here. Harold, get you set up. All right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. All right, let's do this. Go Lord in prayer. Father, we sure do love you tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to gather again, to open up your word, to, Lord, just study and uh, learn more truth from it. And Lord, but all the learning in the world doesn't do us any good if we don't apply it. So I pray that you'd help us, Lord, through these lessons as we're working through uh, with all our heart, learning how to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And help us to learn how to apply that and to put together. Uh, put it in practice in our lives so that we can fulfill the greatest commandment in Scripture. We will praise you and give you honor and glory and uh, for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the last couple of weeks, we, we've been working through this series uh, from the heart. It's kind of paralleling that book that you have. If you've been reading that, it's not obviously tied to it super close, but we try to hit the same truths. That's the main thing. And uh, tonight, we're going to start looking at the desires of the heart. If you remembered where we started, the first week we, we, we looked at the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, and the Pharisees were trying to trip Jesus up, and they said, what, Master, what is the greatest commandment? And he answers them and says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. He said, This is the first and great commandment. Uh, that was recorded in Matthew. Luke and Mark said the same thing, recorded the same thing. All three said, With all your heart, recorded Jesus saying, You must love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Well, if that's the first and greatest commandment then that he tells us to do, then we better learn how to do that, right? So that's the goal of, of this whole study is to try to attempt to answer that. And so the first week we really dug into before you can learn to love the Lord that God with all that heart, you better learn what we better learn what heart means, right? So we spent some time in scripture. Uh, and that's what we're doing. We're pulling from scripture. We're not giving our ideas. We're seeing what scripture says about it. And we looked at scripture and we, we kind of learned this. It has the word heart has to do with the totality of our whole inner nature and probably a better way to say it is this it's it's things like what we know it's our mind it's things like what we love that's our desires and things like what we choose and that is our will and last week in week two we spent a lot of time looking at our minds and learning how to uh, get our minds right our thoughts and our imaginations and we looked at uh, the sins of the mind how the how the mind can get focused on bad things or wrong things and, and the difference between the, a good stronghold or a bad stronghold. We call them protection strongholds versus prison strongholds. And, and that comes from bad thinking. And the Lord told us and, and to take all those thoughts into captivity and obedience of Christ. And we talk about learning how to do that. Well, tonight, we're going to dig into that second one. Not just our mind. We're going to look at our desires. And, uh, and so if our heart's made up of our thoughts, our minds our desires, and then our will, then uh, tonight we're going to look at that second one, our desires. So what's your heart desires? There's a quote from the book. I liked it. Craig Troxell said this. He said, within us is an artesian well that gushes forth with its, with its longings and cravings, continuously seeking satisfaction. Often we use the term our heart's desire. Anybody ever heard that term? Whatever your heart's desire, and we use that term a lot. Uh, you know, the Bible kind of uses that a few times as well. Uh, Psalm 21 verse 2 says this, Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and hast not withholden the request of his lips. Romans 10 and verse 1, Paul, they're talking about Israel and says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. 
our heart's desire. We use that a lot. And, and uh, the Bible also uses it. So it's from within us, out of our hearts, if you would, that our desires come. Much like our thoughts, uh, uh, our, we learned last week, our thoughts can be good or bad, right? How many of you have both of those? Usually within a five-minute window of each other, if you're like me, right? And we got to get control of those thoughts, and we learned that last week. But likewise, our, not just our thoughts, but our desires can be good. They can be pure, or they can also be wicked, and they can be evil. And it's from the heart that, that the evil desires, like coveting and deceit and envy and pride, all come from let me read you a few texts on that. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. You probably know this well, but he says, Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. James said it this way, James 3.14, but if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. So, so out of our hearts comes a lot of these evil desires. Uh, we, we see that clearly from Scripture. We can trust Jesus when he says it, right? So, so we'll talk about more of that as we go, just setting some, some scale or some, some background, if you would. And then it's also from the heart. Here's the, here's the catcher. It's also from the heart that righteous desires come from. Just like our mind has good thoughts and bad thoughts, our heart can have good desires, uh, holy desires, righteous desires, and also those evil and wicked desires that we just read. In fact, when you're looking at, uh, when it comes to our desires to seek God, to seek His kingdom, to seek His righteousness, and the Bible refers to that often, and look what it says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13. He says, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your what? heart. So when we go seeking him and searching uh, for him, uh, the Lord says that you'll find me when you search with all your heart. That's a, would you agree with that? That's a, that's, a, that's a good desire, right? Having that desire to seek the Lord and search for him with all your heart. Uh, how about Matthew 6 and verse 33? But seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and his righteousness, and look at the promise, and all these things shall be added unto you. So good desire there. So we've seen evil ones, we've seen good ones, and I like how Paul put it in 1 Timothy 1.5. He said, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. We'll talk more about that maybe at the end. Out of a good conscience and out of a faith unfeigned. In other words, a faith that's real, not plastic. It's a, it comes from a word that literally means plastic. So, so we see it can be good, can be bad. Everybody with me? The Bible certainly backs up that. We can have good desires and we can have wicked desires. We can have righteous desires and we can have evil desires. And the, the Bible certainly says that. Um, everybody still have a paper? We had some more come in. Did we run out? Are we good still? Yeah. Got one more. Excellent. Good deal. Well, in the Old Testament, we're going to look up some words here that uh, show you the, that same, same idea. How it's used uh, to mean undesirable or inappropriate. Uh, so the Hebrew word there is, anybody can pronounce that for me? Y'all see that in parentheses? <laughs> I can't pronounce it either. Uh, I, even had to take I even had to take some classes and I, that didn't help me. I can't, I can't speak English. You can expect me to speak Hebrew, but anyway, I can tell you what it means though. I can tell you that. Uh, uh, there's a Hebrew word used over and over. It's, in fact, it's the key word, the primary word used to describe our desires in the Old Testament. 
Likewise, this word's used for good and bad. We'll see that. But it starts off if you, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. And how many of you know that account? The account of man's sin and when we fell. And, and talking about Eve in particular here. And it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be what? Desired. That, it's that word, kahamad, or however you pronounce it. To make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And uh, Proverbs 6, verse 25, here it's trust, translates the word lust. Same word. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. So we see that, that primary Hebrew word used for when a desire is wicked or immoral, we also see uh, some examples here of when it's used to, to uh, translate it here as the word uh, for covet. I want you to see that, another wicked and immoral one. Exodus 20, verse 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. So another wicked one, right? Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, uh, nor his manservants, nor his maidservants, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor any other thing that is thy neighbor's. In other words, you know, don't look at everybody else's stuff and want it, right? <laughs> So there it uses an evil desire. When you desire something that somebody else has, that pretty much covers the whole gamut, doesn't it? Uh, the, way, the way the Lord wrote that. Wrote that. And, and so don't desire whatever other people have, is what he's telling us. Don't desire that. Listen, that's a sinful desire. Same word used for that. Joshua 7, verse 21, When I saw among the spools a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I what? Coveted them. Same thing, bad word. Took them, and behold, they were hid in the earth in the midst of the, of the tent and the sliver under it. Notice kind of the process here. We'll get way more into that. And I'm, I'm getting through this introduction for a little bit because I want to get to the nuts and bolts of how this all comes about. Uh, but, but notice the process. He saw it, right? Then he desired it, and then he took it. And you're going to kind of see a very similar process all the time as we go here. However, that same word, that same Hebrew word, is used also in the Old Testament to also signify a good desire or a righteous desire. In fact, in Psalm 19, verse 10, it's used as, it says, Moreover, to be desired, same word, desired there, are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey, and the honeycomb. Isaiah 53, verse 2, And he shall grow up uh, before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form uh, nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we shall what? desire him. And so a good desire there, a righteous uh, uh, to signify there. And so we find that same pattern in the New Testament. There's a, the Greek words used for, there, it's actually a phrase of words that's used there. And I'm not going to try to pronounce that either. You can read it if you want. I'll just tell you what it means. How about that? <laughs> These terms are used both ways as well. For sinful or wicked desires, also for godly and righteous desire. And again, Here's the key to always, this is important anytime you study the Bible, I'll give you this for free, context. <laughs> how do I determine what does it mean in this use? I read all around it. Context means how is it used in the sentence and, or in that particular verse. And if that doesn't clarify it, go to the verse right before it and the verse right after it. See if that clarifies it. You know, the best interpreter of Scripture is, y'all know this answer? Scripture, Absolutely. And so when you just, just read all around it, read, go to the paragraph, go to the chapter, go to the entire book. And in fact, a lot of times you would want to do this when you're reading something. Uh, let's just say, for example, you're in the middle of Ephesians. I'm going to get off topic here, but you're in the middle of the book of Ephesians and you're wondering, who's that talking to? 
Go back to the beginning of the letter, Ephesians 1.1, and read who it's talking to, to the church at Ephesus. So that's the context, saved people, believers that are born-again believers that are assembled together there in Ephesus. And so, so just remember that when you read right through. That way we don't pull it out, apply it to the wrong thing. Uh, so, so likewise here, when you're trying to figure out, is, it, is this a righteous desire or a godly desire or is this a wicked desire just read around it the context and so so look at some places where that that greek word that new testament greek word epithmio and epithmeria or mio is used matthew chapter 5 verse 28 but i say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust translates the word lust there same word desire after her hath committed adultery with with her already in his heart galatians 5:24 says, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. Uh, so what do you think that one is? Good ones or bad ones? First <laughs> uh, John 2.16. And y'all, we all know this verse, right? This is, the, this is the pattern of how it happens for all that's in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Lust, 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 same word, same word, used in an immoral way there. Uh, then there's also places it's used in, uh, for godly desires. And so Matthew chapter 13, verse 17 says, For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to seek those things which you see, desired to see those things which you've seen, he says, and have not seen them. Wouldn't that be good to desire to see the things that Jesus did? That would be a righteous desire. I hope you desire that. And that's kind of our theme, to follow him, to know him, to, uh, to know him personally and desire a closer relationship with him. And I sure would have loved, I've, got, I've had the privilege to, to go to Israel and walk some of the steps and places that Jesus walked, but I didn't get to see those things that he did. That would have been pretty cool, to, really cool to see that. I would have that desire. and uh, That would be a righteous desire. Luke chapter 22, verse 15, and he said unto him, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffered. And he had a desire to, to, to be with his disciples before he suffered. And so there's even a place, one spot in Scripture, where both the bad and the good is used in one verse. I like when it does that. How about Galatians 5, verse 16? Paul writes, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and he shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, these are... The contrary one to the other, that you cannot do the things that you would. And it talks about the battle that goes on inside of us, how the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they're contrary to one another. And, and that's ultimately the battle that's going in. That's the battle for your desires, by the way. The, the world wants your desires. The devil certainly does. By the way, even your own flesh wants it. That's why he tells us we've got to mortify our flesh. We've got to put ourselves, we've got to die daily, crucify ourselves, because you better not follow the flesh because it's going to lead you that way too. They want those, the, the bad desires. But our spirit, our soul that's been saved and, and, and the parts of us that are uh, following the Lord want the, uh, the righteous desires. And so uh, I like how J.C. Ryle put it this way. I gave you that, that quote, I believe. He said, in every Christian's heart, there's a field occupied, occupied by two rival camps. Uh, and it certainly is. I used a illustration. I've used to use the illustration quite a bit. A good dog and uh, a black dog and white dog and this Indian. I don't use it anymore. You probably have heard it if you've been around preaching. Every preacher in America has used it, I know. But 
I quit using it because somebody came up and got offended with me one night because it mentioned Indian in it, and I had nothing to do with the Indian. It was about the dogs, but anyway, I won't use it tonight, but, but just know this. I hate to use the little you know, you know, angel and the devil. That's not right, but I just want you to think about this. Inside of you, there's a battle. Your spirit, your soul, it's saved, and your flesh. That's why Paul said we've got to crucify. We've got we to kill that flesh every single day because that flesh will lead you to those wrong desires. As flesh is not going to be, uh, that flesh is not going to be glorified, and your flesh isn't saved, by the way, until we get, until we're called up. But that spirit and soul is, and inside of you, since you've been saved, is that battle, and so it's going on. So desires, conclusion, simply this: desires, which we're looking at tonight, the desires of the heart can be good or bad. All right, desires in and of themselves aren't even necessarily wrong. The issues is whether the object of our desire is lawful or unlawful, good or evil, or righteous or wicked. Is it okay to love? How many of you think it's okay to love? We better, right? Isn't that the greatest commandment we're studying right now? But what are you loving? See, it's the object that you're loving that decides whether it's a, a good desire, a moral desire, a righteous desire, or a wicked desire. And so, if you're with me still, I hope you are, and we'll, we'll keep on going on. So, so we've seen that. So God's Word makes clear how powerful our desires can be. I want you to think about that. Uh, envy can drive even the nicest girl uh, to slander somebody. Yeah, if you've ever had teenagers and you've heard how things go sometimes, you could have these two wonderful teenagers together and just one gets caught up in envy with the other one and says something that's not true and now we got a little, we got a, we got a contention, we got a, we got a problem. Where did that desire come from? That was that envy, that wicked desire. And lust, lust can get hold of a man or a woman, by the way. Have them risk everything to try to fill that lust desire. Uh, causes them all kinds of trouble down the road. Our selfishness, just think about that. Sometimes our selfishness, we want what we want, and we want it right now, right? <laughs> and don't get in my way because I'm going to get what I want, right? It can... It can lead us to do things that we know in our head in some ways that aren't even sane. Likewise, a strong desire can be unbelievably righteous as well. Think about the Lord when he went into the temple and turned over the table and cleansed the temples and he flipped over the tables over. Hey, a righteous desire. And uh, they can be good as well. And of course, I like what Jeremiah, a righteous one, that desire would have us seek the Lord and seek his face. In Jeremiah 29, 13, you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So strong desires aren't necessarily wrong. Again, it's the object of what you're seeking. Hey, a strong desire to serve the Lord, that'd be a good one. Strong desire to worship the Lord, that'd be a good one. To praise the Lord, they're, they're good, they're honorable. But a strong desire that's evil or unhealthy or shameful can be destructive. And so for this reason, our desires, there's some that should be encouraged. There's some that should be subdued. Would y'all agree with that? Some desires we ought to fan up and fire up, right? Some we ought to smother. Some of our desires we need to magnify. And some we need to use that old word from the Bible, mortify, put to death. Uh, so how do we figure out which those desires are and how do we do those things is what we'll try to get to. And, and that's why when you get to the Lord's comparison, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, when he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart uh, be also. You don't want to know if you want to find out uh, if you want to find out who people loved and just look or what they love, 
find out what they treasure than just look at what they give the best effort to, their greatest care to, uh, their greatest devotion to. You'll find out real quick. Their treasure will be the thing that's central, central and essential to their life, that if they would lose it, they, they would hardly even feel like life was worth living. That can even become an idol if we let it go too far. These, so they can be wicked, they can be good. So how do these desires get a hold of us, especially the evil ones? That's what I'm going to pay attention to the rest of the, most of the rest of the night. And we have time at the end, we'll get to how to, how to fix it. Uh, if not, we'll spend the whole next session on that. How about that? So where do these things come from? I, flip with me, get your Bibles and let's, let's open those up tonight. That'd be a good thing to do, right? James chapter 1. And James chapter 1. I want to look at how this, how this comes from. How does someone who's, I'm assuming you're here on Sunday night, a saved child of God, you've had a moment, a time where you realized you were a sinner who needed a Savior, put your trust in Jesus, and the fact that he died for you, was buried, rose again, and, and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and called upon his name, by faith received the free gift of eternal life. You've been saved. How many of you, since you've been saved, had some evil desires? Right? How's it happen? That flesh is still here, right? That's how it happens, and so... So where does that, how does that process come about? Because it's the same, we're going to see that it's the same almost every time. I read about a little boy who always wanted to go next door and play at the neighbor's house. And uh, he's always wanting to do that. And uh, his mom wasn't too hip on the neighbors and so forth. And she, she was worried about it. And so, so she told him she could, he couldn't go anymore. But, but he kept going anyway. He was disobedient. And, and he asked her, why are you being disobedient? And he said, well, Satan tempted me so bad I didn't know what to do. So the mom said, you know, when Satan does that, you just tell him, get behind me, Satan, whenever you're tempted, she told him. And she then built a fence around the backyard to keep him in, if you would, and, and it worked for a while. But one Sunday, or one Sunday afternoon, she walked, looked out there, and there's her son in the neighbor's lawn. He doesn't cut a hole in the fence. And she said, so she goes out there, Johnny, she yelled, uh, come here. She said, didn't I tell you that when you're tempted, you tell Satan, get thee behind me. He said, yeah, that's exactly what I did. He got behind me and he pushed me right through that hole in the fence. And uh, <laughs> We get to James chapter 1. We're going to see the kind of temptations that come into our life. And by the way, that's where these desires are, are, are manifested from oftentimes. Sometimes they're already in our heart because it's been planted in there. But other times we're going to see... Uh, we have the solicitation that happens. Now, I, I don't want to spend too much time in it, but I want to make sure we understand a few things here in James real quick. Uh, uh, if you look at verse 2 and verse number 12, I want you to look just two places with me there. You're going to see in verse 2, he says, My brethren, count all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I don't know if you like to write in your Bible uh, or not, but if you do, I would, this will help you, I believe. If you write beside that, that is testings. Those temptations are testings. That's important to, to break down and understand. Or maybe you can even write trials. Trials are testings uh, between, beside that one. You get to verse number 12, you'll also see there, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Same word for when he is tried. It's trials and temptations. So those two, as you're looking at them, trials and temptations. And, uh, I want to I make sure we hit on that because those are sometimes even from God trials and temptations. God sometimes allows them in our life and uh, maybe even sometimes sends them and he does it to purify it or perfect us, prepare us if you would, uh, uh, to build us, to make us stronger, to, uh, to perfect us and mature us and, and so forth. 
as the Bible teaches us throughout that section. But we're going to pay attention to verse number 13 and just take it off there. And the reason I had you highlight those other verses was just simply here, because James changes context, you get to verse 13. And he says this, he says, Let no man say when I'm tempted that I'm tempted of God. Now the words tempted here are not the same idea of I'm getting tested. The word tempted here, and if you like to write in your Bible, I'd put do it. You could circle it and say this is a, a solicitation to do evil. In other words, the context has changed here. Uh, in verse 14, again, he says, but every man is tempted. Same idea. Every man is solicited to do evil when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So, so here it's a solicitation to sin. So, so make sure you understand the difference between those two because you can read it and get really confused. Because as we're going to read here in just a moment, we're going to find out that, listen, God never tempts anybody to sin. It's very important that we understand that, and we'll see that here in just a moment. And so, uh, let me try to explain the differences. In verse two, and verse uh, the other verses we looked at, where we saw that it, the word "tempt" means trials or testing. So here, here's the idea: a a, a trial or a te- testing could come from God. God uses them to build us. A temptation or a solicitation to do evil, though, will never come from God. Satan uses those to try to break us. A trial is something that happens externally that affects you internally. A temptation is we're going to see something that happens internally and affects you externally. A trial is something that comes upon you. A temptation is something you come upon. A trial is faced, is faced so that we can learn more about the Lord. A temptation is fought so we can learn more about ourselves. And a trial, like verse 2 and and verse 12 may be, as in a testing, may be from God. But I'm going to promise you this. We get to verse 13. A temptation, a solicitation to do evil is never from God. So let's read a little bit of it here. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 13. James writes, Let no man say when, I, when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. God will never solicit you to do evil. Neither tempteth he any man, and he tempts no one to do that. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So I want you to see here as we talk about these sinful desires, that's what it's ultimately talking about, this, the lust and the temptation that comes in these sinful desires. Who's the author of it? And do you know that? Uh, we've already looked at the fact that it's not of the Lord, right? Uh, that's what we we're trying to break down. Uh, today, so many people blame the Lord. We say sometimes, Lord, it's that, that woman you gave me or that man you gave me, right? It's a job you gave me. It's, sometimes we blame our genes. Not, not these genes. Like genes with a G. <laughs> it's just my genes. I can't help it, right? It's just what you gave me. Uh, it's that temperament you gave me. It's because of the environment I grew up, you know, whatever. We blame everything else. And many times we blame the Lord. You know, ever notice when somebody falls into sin, we want to blame everybody else. Well, God put the bar up right here. He said, he said, listen, he said, listen, you cannot blame me. I will never solicit you to do evil. Uh, never will. Sometimes we call out God, well, if that man or that woman hadn't flirted with me, if you hadn't put that bar right there on that corner, if you, if you hadn't put that image on that computer, listen, here's what, God didn't do it. That's what it's saying. God will never solicit you to do evil. 
Can I remind you, he's a holy God. Amen. And in verse 13, he says, Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted. I'm ever solicited to do evil of God. For God cannot be tempted. He can't be tempted with evil, and neither will he ever tempt any man with it. And so a holy God can't tempt with sin. So James is telling you, you can't blame God for his evil desires. That's what he's saying. We're off the bat. Everybody with me so far? Don't blame God. You know, most of us, a Sunday night crowd here like this, would say, I would never blame God. You might not ever say it out of your words, but have you ever been upset at God? You don't have to signify with a hand up, but uh, the truth is we probably all have. God, why'd you do this? Now again, sometimes he's allowed some things in our life, but I promise you this, if it had to do with sin, he didn't solicit you to do that. We'll, we'll see that as we continue to read. Uh, uh, so sinful desires are not from the Lord, we see. But look at verse 14. It tells us where it comes from. James says, sinful desires are from our lust. The Bible says, but every man is tempted, solicited to do evil. Same word. When he's drawn away of his own, what's that next word? Lust and enticed. When he's drawn away from his own lust. In other words, we can't blame others and we can't blame the Lord. Uh, we can't really blame Satan for our sins. He may put a temptation in front of us. But only us give in to that temptation. Uh, James is basically saying, no, the devil didn't make you do it. You ever heard that one? Oh, the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do nothing. Oh, he'll solicit you. Uh, he'll, he'll put, as we'll see here in a minute, the lure right in front of your face. And he'll do everything he can to try to get you to bite. But only you can bite. Only you can say, yes, I'm going to give, give way to it. So temptation is from our lustful desires. That word lust literally means desire, craving, longing for, a desire for what's bidden. Uh, it, it's our own desires, our own craving, our own desire for what's be, forbidden. That's to blame. In other words, as the, uh, in contrary to the old country song that's out there, it's not my fault. Yes, it is our fault, uh, is, is what it's saying. So, so there we see the author of it. It's our own lust. We see the advancement of it. Look at the process. This is what I want you to see. James here uses an illustration of a, uh, really of an immoral woman uh, who, was, who would entice and tempt and try to lure a man into sexual immorality. Or, or it could be vice versa. It's an illustration of how really all temptation and all bad desires come. Uh, so I've heard many preachers call this the devil's LSD. <laughs> this is LSD. Lust, sin, desire. Lust, sin, death. Sorry, lust, sin, death. Let's look at how it comes about. Uh, the first thing, it, it starts off in verse 14. He says, but every man is tempted or solicited to do evil when he's drawn away of his own lust. The verb there is drawn away. Y'all see that? It's really a fisherman's term. It, it means to literally be baited, to be drawn out, to be moved, if you would. And I brought a fishing rod, and, and uh, I've already tested it out to make sure all the hooks were gone, so y'all are okay right now And if I throw it your way. Uh, uh, Jesse came in earlier, and I just made sure it was all right, so I hit him with it a few times, and yeah, it didn't hook him, so we're good. <laughs> but here's the picture. I mean, anybody ever go fishing? You know when you go fishing, you, you throw that thing. And I didn't really mean to go. Just like I did, you get hung in the trees. That, that usually happens to me. <laughs> you always try to get, like, up under that, uh, up under the log, because right under that log many times, that's where the bass like to lay, right there where it's a little cooler in the shade. And 
And if you don't throw it very well, you end up in the trees like I am right now. But <laughs> you get it up under there. And, you know, depending on what kind of lure you're lowering, they all have different methods. If you got a popper, you know, you pop, pop, pop. Some of them you got to go pretty quick with a spinner, get him to dive down low. But the whole goal is to take that lure and to put it right as close to that fish as you can and, and draw him. Draw him out from under that log. Draw him out from where he's, where he's sitting. That's the whole idea. What you're doing there is this idea of what James is teaching us. And James says, listen, every man is tempted or solicited to do evil when he's drawn away by his own lust. And so it literally means to be baited, to be drawn out. It's kind of like a courtship is kind of what I call it. You know, if you want to get a man, some, uh, it's like a fisherman. Some women just throw their bait out. <laughs> you, know, uh, uh, so you may say, listen, I don't struggle with immorality. How come that one comes up? Because that's what's usually in the Bible. Y'all ever notice that? Almost every time it talks about that. Uh, somewhere or another, sexual sins are always, always mentioned. Uh, here's the thing. Whatever your problem is, if that's not it, trust me, there's a whole tackle box. You know, when I go fishing, sometimes my son's a way better fisher, bass fisherman than I am. Uh, Colin, he's got a little boat, and he's, he's done learned all that stuff. And, and uh, we'll go out there, and I'll throw, throw my, I, I take three lures, and that's about all I have, and I'm out there doing He said, Dad, that didn't go work here. Got to have this one. And he lets me borrow one of his. I don't know the difference between them, to be really honest with you. I just throw them out and hope a fish gets on it and reel him in. And, uh, but, and he'll explain to me how to use it. And You know, there's a, there's a different lure used in different lakes many times. Different lure used even, as I've learned, even in different times of the day in the same lake. And even different places in the lake, shady or shallow or deep, you want to use a different lure, uh, as I'm learning uh, from him. You know, the devil's got a lure for every one of us. He said, sexual immoralities, I don't struggle with that whatsoever. Well, there's one you do struggle with, and he's going to keep trying to lure us until he finds you because he wants to draw you out. By the way, it's not just the devil. Your own flesh is in on it. This world's in on it. Every one of those three, your flesh, the devil, and the world, want to draw you out. And they, what they want to do is they, they want to uh, initiate in you a wicked desire. Uh, you say, well, the, what, what's some other ones? Well, how about gossip? That'd be one, wouldn't it? Uh, I can give you a bunch of them. The lure of envy, the lure of jealousy, the lure of bad thoughts, the lure of pride, the lure of alcohol, tobacco, pornography, money, greed, you name it. I'm telling you, in the tackle box of this world, of your flesh and of the devil, is every one of those things. And he'll use every lure in his box because he finds out the one that works for you. He'll throw it so skillfully, right, right there to draw you out. The bait's hanging in front of you. Yet here's the key. There's no sin yet. This is important. This is important. Hey, being tempted in this sense is not a sin. You've been solicited to do evil, but you haven't done evil yet, right? What are you going to do? Go back to last week. What are you going to do when that thought comes in, that desire, before it even becomes a hard desire, the thought, oh, there it is. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Eve looks and sees the fruit. Before she desired it, she saw it. And then she desired it. So it's good. Got fixated on it. By the way, you know what she did? She went into a prison stronghold. And guess what started to burn out of that? That thought, that bad thought, that wrong thought we talked about last week, now has become a bad desire. 
and evil desires. It's, it's gross. Now, there was, some, there was some stuff dangling in front of her, but she still had a choice at this point. In fact, I can tell you, being tempted isn't a sin because Jesus was tempted in all points like we were, yet without sin. Amen? And he's sinless. Uh, uh, all points means the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He was tempted in all points just like that. But yet, I always say it this way, Jesus was tempted, but he was never tempted. That's deep, isn't it? Think about that. He was tempted, but never tempted. In other words, the Lord was thrown. You know what he said? I ain't eating that. I'm not biting that. You know, there's a lot of things somebody could walk down this aisle with tonight. Try to illustrate this a little more, what I mean by that. Jesus was solicited to do wrong by the devil. But because he was so pure of heart, he did no wrong. It didn't even phase him, if you would. You know, you could walk down this aisle right now and bring me a Diet Mountain Dew and a banana pudding, and we'd shut this thing down, and I'd eat and drink. That's how, that's how that solicitation would go. I can tell you that right now. But you could actually walk down through here, and I'll just make up something extreme. Bring in some broccoli or a, real, a line of cocaine. I mean, I don't care what you bring in like that. I wouldn't be tempted whatsoever. I'd have no desire for that. I have no desire for that. Uh, he was tempted, solicited to do evil, but he was never tempted to partake in it because he had such a pure heart that there was no desire to ever partake in it. That's where we got to get to. And we won't get there tonight. I can tell that already. I'm taking too many breaks. But, uh, but that's where we'll get to probably next week when we get there. How do we get there? How do we get not just a clean heart, but a pure heart? There is a difference. And, but let's go on. Let's look at what, what happens here. So the sin hasn't taken place yet. You're just being tempted. Hey, live long enough. It's going to be happening, all right? Think about the these, Jesus, or the devil tried to do that with Jesus over and over. And uh, it's, again, it's that courtship phase. It's the Lord's in front of you. You still have opportunity to turn away. Or if you're the fish, you still got opportunity to swim away, to get away. And if I'm fishing, they all do. So I, apparently, whatever I do never tempts them. But you still got a chance to run away. Still got a chance to flee. Still got a chance to escape. By the way, you still got a chance to close your eyes if you're looking at something that you shouldn't be looking at. Still got a chance to close your ears. Hit mute if you're listening to something you shouldn't be listening to, right? If something's starting to get you. You still got a chance to go open your Bible. Hey, we got them on our phones. I know that's in front of you. Open it on there. You got a chance to quote Scripture. That's why over and over Paul said, flee fornication. He said in 1 Timothy 6, he said, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. And 2 Timothy 2 and verse 32, he said, flee also youthful lust. See, see the courtship itself is not, not the sin. It's, and Jesus proved that, that, listen, there is victory over temptation if you don't let the Lord draw you out. If you don't let your own wicked desires draw you away. So we see the courtship phrase, the temptation, they're drawn away. Now what happens next? Look what he goes on to say. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And then the next word, enticed. Enticement is when consent is given. It's when we allow the, the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes and the pride of life to draw us out. It's, it's the mental phase. It's when we say yes, in other words, to the temptation in front of us. That's when we've been enticed. It literally means to be trapped, to be baited, to, be, uh, to catch by bait. Last week we learned that principle. Every sin has its origin in our heart, right? 
Uh, before we ever done it, we thunk it. And so, so at this point, what's happened is the Lord's gotten out there. It's right there in front of us. It's there. And we've seen it. Maybe we've even done pretty good so far. We haven't grabbed it, bought, bought it yet. But you know what? We haven't, swam, we haven't swam away either. You know, that's when we start to get in trouble. We're still looking at it. Haven't done it yet, but I'm still looking at it. I walk by that last piece of peanut butter chocolate pie that my wife makes. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm biased, I realize that, but she makes the best peanut butter chocolate pie, period. Amen. Uh, <laughs> you want to say amen, your wife's here, but I'm saying amen. Uh, <laughs> and I know, it's one thing, my, I don't eat the last piece. I mean, I probably ate the other eight, but don't eat the last one, right? And, uh, and I keep walking by that thing. I know I'm not supposed to, but I keep walking by it. I, you know, I, I go upstairs often just to check to see if it's still there. You know? Is it still there? <laughs> I know we're making light on that, but, but on a serious note here, that's what we do sometimes with sin. Hey, we didn't flee it. We didn't put it off. We didn't run away from it. We didn't get rid of it. We just let it sit right there. We haven't taken of it yet. But just in case, because I kind of like it. That's, a, that's an awful pretty lure there. The fish is starting to, hey, that's pretty nice. I might take a bite. Oh, I'm not going to take a bite. Well, I don't know. If it sticks right there, I might take it. See what starts to happen? What starts to happen takes over our mind. See how they play together, what we talked about last week? takes over our mind, and we're focusing on things we shouldn't focus on now. And this prison stronghold is starting to take place, and next thing you know, our desire builds up. You can't look at that piece of pie but so long before you eat it. Amen? And you'll take the punishment later in the night, but you just get it done. That fish can't look at that lure but so long, especially when he's hungry, before he grabs it. So our choice was to flee already, but now the enticement comes. Now we're given mental consent to go grab that thing. See, we should have squashed that ant we talked about last week prior to this, but now we're enticed. And once we give that mental consent, hey, we decide we want it. We decide it's time to go take a bite. And look what happens next, verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's the consent phase. We're enticed, we're captured, now we conceive to it. Uh, now the conception's taking place. We first thunk it, and we let that thought hang around. We let that bird build a nest that we talked about last week instead of making him fly by. And guess what? Now we desire it. And now we desire it so much, even if it was the wrongest thing in the world because we didn't, get, we didn't deal with it at that thought phase, that we partake of it. We consent to it. And now uh, we have, lust has conceived is what the Bible says. It's like the man I read about, he was... Walking, walking down the path and uh, along the path he had his basket full of beans and he's putting them on the ground as he walked along and there was a whole herd of hogs just following him down through there. Somebody said to him, that's a sure, sure is a strange way to feed your hogs. Man said, I'm not feeding my hogs, I'm leading them to slaughter. Hmm. That's exactly what our flesh, this world, and the devil wants to do with that enticement they put out there. And if you let it stick around too long, it gets harder and harder to say no. Can I get a witness from anybody in here? Huh. Uh, it certainly does. That's where we are here. He's trying to draw you out. He's trying to court you. Trying to get lust after, uh, or get you lust after that lure to give 
in mentally first and then go grab it and eat it once that desire is there. By the way, it looks like fun. Did y'all know all sin is pleasurable? The Bible says that. Sin is pleasurable for a what? Season. You know what happens with seasons? Sometimes in Virginia in one day, <laughs> they come and go. <laughs> Sometimes we have all four in one day. See, it looks like fun. It's pleasurable for a season, but here's what that fish ultimately finds out. When he gives in to that desire, he finds out, and I don't mind, but um, most of them, if I had not cut it off before I came, there'd be hooks on there. And before he knows it, he's hooked. He's stuck. He's in a mess now. In fact, I'm going to get him out of the water, and I'm going to put him in the boat. And I'm going to take him home and eat him. You know, what he's, you know what's happening next? He's dead. That's what the Bible says is going to happen, isn't it? But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. There's where the sin comes in. When you, when you actually done it, I would argue that you were, three, you were 98% down the road here before even the desire. You still had a chance even when the desire filled up. Hey, you still could have fleed, but you didn't. Then you consented and ate it. And then brings forth death, it says. Then brings forth death as the illustration goes on. Uh, looks fun. It is pleasurable. Then it brings about a completion, verse 15. When sin, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. The hook's set, the line's reeled in, the fish is in the net. The devil, their flesh. You know what they never show you? This world never shows you? Never shows you the hook. Y'all know that? Think about every commercial you see. Tonight, listen, we're getting ready to go home, watch whatever left of the Super Bowl, if you're a football fan at all. Some of you are saying, hurry up so we can do that. <laughs> you know what's going to be on in between the actual plays? They'll have these commercials. I want you to look from, I have a marketing degree of all things originally. I want you to look at those commercials. I want you to see what they're playing on. It's a lure. Most of them are a lure to some evil stuff. And they want you to take a bite of it. But they're not showing you the hook. They're showing you, look, I'm the sexiest person alive and I do this. Look at all these, all these beautiful people around me, rich, prosperous. We all do it. Isn't it fun? Isn't it great? I don't have to fill in any blanks. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Grab a hold of it. There's a hook there. There's a hook there. And trouble starts to come. Once the hook's set, the line's reeled in, the fish is in the net. See, we see the pleasure of sin. We don't see the product. We see that sin, it, it lies to us. It offers life, but you know what it brings about? Darkness. It offers peace, but it brings about turmoil in our life. It offers success, but it brings uh, failure. It offers wealth, but brings poverty. It offers life, but as we see in our Bible, it brings death. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. We need to remember there's a hook in the lure. Think about the end of sin. The end of those ways always death. It may be death, physical death. You can go back in the Old Testament and David and Bathsheba, guess what it cost him? His son. Hey, it may be not, not a physical death, but it may be, how about this, a death to a relationship. Maybe a, a death to the family, a death to, you start going through all this, it, just, just, it always brings about death, a death to friendship, a death to all these things starts with that one temptation. 
when we allow that lust to draw us away. Then we consent. Then we're enticed. Then we conceive. Do you know the drug addict started at some point with one pill? The drunkard started with one drink somewhere. The gossiper started with one conversation. The adulterer, adulteress started with one look. One conversation, if you would. Maybe one glance. The pornographer, or the one hooked on it anyway, pornography, started with, again, just one click. There's a hook. Homes are wrecked. Churches are divided. Jobs are lost. Hearts are broken. Relationships are severed. I can tell you this, if you've never been born again, an eternity in the lake of fire in a place called hell is the, is the result. Because sin bringeth forth death. Lust, sin, death. And it all comes from the heart. Starts in the mind of the heart. That's where the prison stronghold's built. Continues in the inappropriate desires in our heart, which leads us to giving in to temptation thrown in front of us. That's the path. Thank God there is some hope, though. <laughs> we can avoid this. There is some victory, and we'll get to that next week. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure do love you tonight. We thank you for, Lord, your word that shows us how this process takes place over and over and over again. And uh, if we were all honest in this room tonight, every one of us probably more times than we can count, could look back on our lives and say, yep, yep, yep. I can see every one of those steps when I messed up there. I can see every one of those steps when I messed up there. And we could go through our life and just say, wow, the devil really does have the same playbook. And God, you've given it to us. Help us to be aware of the lures of this world, our flesh, the devil. Uh, Lord, even this world wants to draw us away from the things that are holy, the things that are righteous, the things that worship you, that, that Lord, follow you. And draw us into the things that would drag us away from you. And Lord, anything that occupies our time, our attention, our desires more than you. It's not only a sin, it is an idol in our life. So Lord, help us as we think about this process this week and, and meditate maybe on some of those thoughts. Help us next week when we come in, learn how to avoid it. How to avoid this pitfall, these these bad desires and how to build the good desires in our heart. Because just like bad desires can build, Lord, we can have strong good desires as well. As we learn next time, how, not only how to have a clean heart, but how to have a pure heart. Dismiss us now with your blessing. Lord, thank you again for our time. In Jesus' name, amen.